Welcome to the Pathways to Discipleship podcast, which serves as a guide for Christians striving to be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. Each pathway is designed for small group or individual study to help with growth and a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ in the love of neighbor. For more information in this series, head over to lovingstonesofchrist.org. You're listening to the second in the Pathway series entitled, Loving Jesus. Session four, Becoming Love. Opening prayer. Spirit of love, inspire us to give all we are and all we have to the building of your kingdom. Help us to realize that any abundance we have is not for our own good, but for the good of others. May we learn to enter into the spirit of the widow who gave her all so that others might benefit, even in her poverty. Divest us of anything that might slow us in the building of those places where you live and reign. Amen. Objectives. Pathway 2, Session 4, helps us to learn how we may live the fifth habit of the 12 habits of a disciple. Lives Christian virtues, glorifying God in everyday life, specifically the virtue of purity of intention. Orient ourselves toward a more loving interior life in addition to exterior actions. Practice the virtue of purity of intention through making small sacrifices. Becoming Love At the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. John chapter 14, verse 20. He then added, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. John chapter 15, verse 9. St. John wrote, If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. The more we receive God's love and share it with others, the more of God's loving nature we take on. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We strive to make our yes to God's love a daily practice. Our journey of spiritual growth ultimately leads us to becoming and freely sharing God's love. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, saying to them, You will be like God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Being like God is not ours for the taking. As creatures, we lack God's omniscience, all-knowing, omnipresence, present everywhere, and omnipotence, all-powerful. Yet amazingly, God invites us to become participants of the divine nature, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It is through knowing God and becoming love that we are united more fully with God and become partakers of the divine nature. Our life's work is to remove from ourselves all that is not love and replace it with things that are love. When we die, even if we are in friendship with God, we must be purged of all that is not love, so we may be united with God who is love. 1 John chapter 4 Verse 16. This purging is called purgatory, which purifies souls for entry into heaven. The more we become love while on earth, the less purification we will need when we die. Discussion question. 
What are some of the practical ways to grow in receiving God's love so we are more able to practice loving actions towards others? The Interior Life To become love, we need to not only perform loving actions, we must do them with loving intentions. Our heart, mind, and soul all become love. Our interior life is the place where we are guided by the Holy Spirit to learn how to become love by getting to know who we are as God's beloved children, while also speaking with God, hearing His voice, and growing spiritually. We develop our interior life through quiet time in prayer. Jesus taught, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Reading the Bible, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Lives of the Saints, or other spiritual reading material aid us in our quiet prayer time. As we grow, our desire to pray and our docility to the promptings of the Holy Spirit will increase, yielding more spiritual insights and fruits. In our interior life, we sift through the confusion of the culture of the world and learn God's truths. See Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17-19. through 19. Many teachings and sayings of our popular culture may sound good at first, but on deeper reflection we may discover they are not true. Do not deceive yourselves, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18-19 Forming our conscience well is a vital part of the interior life. God has written His law in our hearts. Romans chapter 2, verse 15 And our informed conscience helps us judge the rightness or wrongness of our intentions and actions, either before or after they are committed. Our conscience is not a perfect arbiter of good or evil, so it is important we work to inform our conscience throughout our lives. This formation comes from studying Scripture, church teachings, and the lives of saints, as well as seeking the virtue of wisdom and advice of wise clergy, spiritual directors, and theologians. The biblical books of Proverbs, Wisdom, and Sirach especially focus on teaching us wisdom. Jesus' teachings are critical to the development of our conscience. Therefore, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Some rules for forming one's conscience apply in every case. 1. We cannot do evil so that good will come of it. Romans chapter 3, verse 8. The Golden Rule. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. 3. We do not lead others into sin. Jesus taught, It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Luke chapter 17, verse 2. See also Romans chapter 14, verse 21. A well-formed conscience is a lifelong personal responsibility. Discussion Question in what ways can forming conscience according to God's teachings improve decision-making? In what ways might we influence the formation of one another's consciences? The Work of the Devil As we grow in our spiritual lives, we become more aware of the workings of Satan and his demons. The devil desires to snare us. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 And keep us forever from God's loving presence. Jesus teaches that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. John chapter 8, verse 44. Satan uses various tricks to ensnare us. Scripture teaches us what to look for. 
Satan is a tempter. He tries to tempt us into committing sin through lack of self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan tempted him while he was praying in the desert for 40 days. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We need not fear Satan's power to tempt us when we rely on Jesus. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Satan is an accuser. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Once he tempts us to sin, he accuses us of committing the sin and tries to convict us that we are beyond forgiveness and reconciliation with God. St. John tells us, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Satan is a liar and deceiver the father of lies. John chapter 8, verse 44. The serpent deceived Eve by its cunning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He wants us to believe lies about ourselves. On one hand, he may tell us the lie that our sins are unforgivable, that we will never measure up, or that we can never be good enough. On the other hand, he may tell us the lie that our sins are not so bad that our intentions are noble, and it is everyone else who has bad intentions and worse sins. We turn to Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus helps us through the lies. We must not attempt to withstand Satan with our own power, but rather depend upon the power of Jesus and the intercession of the saints. The saints were tempted by Satan while on earth and conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. This armor includes truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. St. Paul teaches, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whenever a negative or sinful thought or image enters our minds, we strive to banish it by diverting our thoughts to an opposing, loving thought or image instead. We offer a brief prayer, asking Jesus to remove the temptation. Discussion question. When might we be most at risk for attack or deception from the devil or susceptible to his temptations? How can we grow in recognition of Satan's tricks? What are some practical ways to counter temptations? Sensuality. Sensuality is rooted in the desire for physical pleasures. Desire for pleasure becomes disordered when we allow gratification of our senses to become more of a priority than our relationship with God or other people. Disordered emphasis on sensual pleasure is an abuse of the gifts of our senses 
and can lead to addictions or harmful behaviors. Desiring or using someone for the pleasure or utility they bring us is a selfish act and is therefore not loving them for their own sake. For example, viewing pornography is an abuse of our God-given gift of sight and it encourages objectifying people, reducing them from a child of God to an object to be used. Jesus' teachings apply to both thoughts and actions. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Christ said, It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. John chapter 6, verse 63. Our bodies are not the ends in themselves, but rather a means to a greater end, an eternal life of love. We are not to live for our bodies, but rather to use our bodies to live for love. It is in this sense that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. In the words of St. Paul, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Virtue of Purity of Intention Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 See also 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 21 We act with purity of intention when our motives are solely for the good of the other and not for selfish desires. When our intentions are pure, our actions will be loving. See Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 20 Our purity of intention in regard to our possessions starts with the recognition that all material goods ultimately belong to God and we are privileged stewards or caretakers. It is our opportunity and responsibility to use them for the good of others as well as ourselves. We ask God through prayer for direction on how to use the resources He has given us. As our purity of intention grows, we become more generous. Jesus saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had. Luke chapter 21 verses 1 through 4. Generosity glorifies God. Jesus taught, In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. Our purity of intention towards others begins with recognizing we are all beloved children of God. When we offer love and respect, expecting nothing in return, our selflessness purifies our intentions. The times when our kindness is not returned with kindness are the times that best purify our intentions. At times, people may not be able to return our kindness, to which Jesus taught we would be blessed when we give to those who cannot repay you. Luke chapter 14, verse 14. Discussion question. In what ways do you see the poor widow's intentions as pure? What can we learn from her about making our own intentions pure? Sacrifice. 
generosity beyond our excess time, money, and resources to people who do not or cannot repay us requires sacrifice on our part. When we are willing to make such a sacrifice, our intentions are purified. A sacrifice is offering something that we value. When we offer something to God, He returns it to us better than before, and we are made better as a result. For instance, in the Mass, the bread and wine are offered and then returned to us as the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Self-sacrifice is a freely made offering of ourselves out of love, and God returns our gift of love, making us better. We can self-sacrifice for God or for a neighbor. Jesus taught, No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. John chapter 15, verse 13. St. John wrote, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. In offering ourselves as a sacrifice to others, we imitate Jesus and we are returning Jesus' love. Offering our lives for others may come in the form of dying for others as Jesus did. More often for us, it comes in the form of offering a small portion of our lives for the sake of others. It requires saying no to ourselves and our selfish wants, so we can say yes to God and to others' needs. Simple sacrifices, such as periodically giving up something we enjoy or fasting, trains us for sacrificing for others. Lent is a time of year set aside especially for fasting, although we may practice it at any time. When we offer up our sacrifices for the benefit of others, our own sacrifices become acts of love. We practice doing small things for others as an act of love for their benefit, expecting nothing in return. Simple obligations, such as chores and other responsibilities, can be transformed into loving acts. St. Teresa of Calcutta said, In this life, we cannot do great things. We can only do small things with great love. If we are accustomed to doing small things with love, we will be more prepared to do greater acts of love when the situation requires it. In this way, Jesus' words in the parable of talents become directed to us as well. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Examples of small sacrifices that can be done with love include doing laundry so the family will have clean clothes to wear, going to work each day to provide for the family's financial needs, allowing someone to use a possession even when we were planning to use it as a gift to them, fasting weekly during Lent or at any time, and offering the sacrifice for the hungry or other intentions. Offering a kind word of encouragement to someone who is struggling. Dropping what we are doing to respond to another person's request or need for our time as a gift of our own time for them. Marriage and family life offer frequent opportunities to practice self-sacrifice. Marriage itself is an offering of each spouse for the other. St. Paul likens marriage to the love of Jesus Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 through 33. Jesus offered himself completely for the sake of all of us, holding nothing back. This is the same total self-giving husband and wife are called to offer to each other, holding nothing back. Their one flesh union, Mark chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, is one of total self-giving, open to the gift of children, and is a complete expression of love and self-sacrifice. The virtue of chastity 
orders our thoughts and actions in regard to human sexuality toward the mutual, total self-giving of marriage and avoids any thoughts or actions contrary to it. Mothers have a unique opportunity to offer their bodies for their children. They can take Christ's words, This is my body which is given for you, Luke chapter 22, verse 19, as their own when they carry a child in the womb. Parents self-sacrifice for their children in many ways throughout their lives, offering up loss of sleep, money, and time to raise them, independent of children's behavior, grades, or performance. When we self-sacrifice out of love, we experience peace and joy. If sacrifice results in feelings of resentments or bitterness, we pray for gratitude for all Jesus has done for us, even dying on the cross for each one of us. We find guidance and encouragement in Scripture. As we grow accustomed to sacrifice more, we trust God more, live more in His love, become more loving, and bear much fruit. John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus tells us to do this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. John chapter 15, verse 11. Discussion questions. Share a time when you observed someone give beyond their excess time, money, or resources as a sacrifice for others. How did this affect them? What are some small sacrifices you can regularly make for family and loved ones? Spotlight Disciple, Blessed Eurosia Fabri, 1866-1932 Feast Day, January the 8th The life of Blessed Eurosia Fabri shows us that living as a true disciple of Christ in holiness and love does not require grand circumstances, abundant wealth, or extensive education. Through her, we see opportunities to follow the way of Christ in everyday life. Eurosia Fabri grew up in the Italian province of Vicenza, where her family were farm laborers. She attended two years of school, but then quit to help with farm and household chores. She had learned enough to read the books that were at home, the Bible, the Catechism, and other religious texts. She received her sacraments as a young teen and joined the Association of the Daughters of Mary at her parish church following their practices and developing a strong devotion to our Blessed Mother. As Eurosia grew into adulthood, she was considered an apostle of goodwill in her family, among her friends, and in her parish where she taught catechism to the children. She also taught sewing to local girls who came to her home. In 1885, a nearby mother with three daughters died while her husband was away caring for relatives. One of the daughters also died shortly after her mother. The two remaining girls were both under the age of two. Eurosia looked after the two young children and cared for the household for the next six months until their father, Carlo Barbon, returned home. Through prayer and discernment, Eurosia felt called to marry him and adopt the two girls as her own. She and Carlo were blessed with nine additional children, and she became fondly known as Mama Rosa. She taught her children to pray and to practice Christian virtues. She shared with them her devotion to the Holy Spirit, the Eucharist, and to Mary, and respect for the will of God. She sacrificed daily for those around her, exercising charity towards the poor and the sick who came to her home in need of a meal or a place to sleep. 
Her example of a holy life was powerful. Three of her sons became priests, and one of her daughters became a nun. In addition to raising her large family, Mama Rosa also ran a small dressmaker's shop and taught her apprentices how to be good Christian mothers. She cared for her husband through his final illness, and he passed away in 1930. She died in 1932 at age 65, and her life has since been a powerful inspiration, especially for mothers. Eurosia Fabri Bourbon was beatified in 2005, and on the eve of her beatification, Vatican Radio explained that she was a dazzling model of holiness lived out in daily family life. She knew how to transform her very large family into a school of holiness. Eurosia's life provides a beautiful example of how developing our interior life in Christ transforms us to become love and share love with others in all the little everyday moments. Discussion question seven. What are some ways to focus on and improve interior life to help in becoming love? Closing prayer. Adopted from the Blessed Eurasia Fabri Novena. We thank you, Holy Trinity, for having enriched your servant, Blessed Eurasia Fabri, with so many gifts of grace, faith, and charity, making of her a wonderful model of domestic virtue. You, who have exalted the meek and modest of heart, grant us the grace to imitate the simplicity and humility of Blessed Eurasia. Through her intercession, may you bless our families so that they may be gentle havens of virtue, love, and peace. Amen.